Well, hello there, and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host, and um, we are going to do a mini tribute to legendary, I guess he's legendary, I mean, very famous uh, for radio, not known for much in television or film, although he did appear in both, uh, actor Wally Mayer, and we feature Wally Mayer on the uh, suspense tribute uh, that uh, we're doing on Thursdays with Dr. Joe Webb, an episode of Suspense, and actually a great one called Dead Earnest, which um, everyone will, if you haven't heard that, make sure you hear that. It's uh, really good. And so we're going to do a little something a little bit different. It's not going to be a suspense-type story. It's going to be a uh, kind of a fantasy play, I believe, based on the uh, Mark Twain story, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And Wally Mayer takes the lead in this particular broadcast. It's the NBC University Theater, which was a syndicated program, syndicated on NBC with no sponsor, uh, but they felt it was uh, their duty to do it. They did a lot of very highbrow-type programs based on famous novels and books. <clears throat> Some of them are more interesting than others, but they were all very well produced. And this is the episode from August 6th, 1950, Mr. Wally Mayer in a Connecticut Yank in King Arthur's Court. This is the NBC Theater. From the NBC Theater in Hollywood, we bring you an hour-length dramatization of one of Mark Twain's most barbed and riotous works, the classic satire, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. The radio version is by Jack C. Wilson of NBC. Here's how it happened. I don't suppose you believe what happened to me. But I'm going to tell it to you just as I recall it. And remember, I'm a hard-headed Yankee. I was born and reared in Hartford in the state of Connecticut. So I'm a Yankee of Yankees, and practical as the day is long. My father was a blacksmith, and I got to be handy with tools, even at inventing things. I went to work in the arms factory at Hartford, and after a time, I was head superintendent. However, I wasn't one to take advantage of my position when a dispute with one of my men came up. So when I got in an argument with a husky mill hand, we both put up our fists and went to it. I uh, <clears throat> got in some pretty good licks, but this fellow found a crowbar handy and everything suddenly went dark. When I came to, I was sitting on a grassy meadow under a big tree. Standing over me was a big galoot right out of a picture book. He was on horseback, and he had a big spear sticking right at me. Oh, fair sir, will ye joust? Will I which? Will ye try a passage of arms for land or for lady? What are you giving me, Junior? <laughs> Go along back to your circus or I'll report oh, you. Oh, hold now. If you will not joust, I came me captive of my spear. Well, whether you're crazy or not, you've got a mighty good argument in that spear. Uh, <clears throat> what's your proposition? Proposition? I wit not what thou speakest, fellow. Well, I wit not much myself, Buster. 
But uh, tell me, which way is it to Hartford? Well, sooth to say, I understand ye not. But come, let us wither away. Right, neighbor, right. But uh, where shall we wither to? Oh, even to yon castlements. Can ye not the turret scene now? By George, there is a village over there. I can see it now. What is it, uh, Bridgeport? Hey, it is Camelot. Well, sir, I never saw such a place as that town we came to. There was a big castle on a hill, and fellows on horseback parading around the streets, all togged out in gleaming armor, plumed helmets, and gilded spears. The fellow with the spear pushed me along while everybody gaped at me till we got to the yard of the castle, and my man turned me and his horse over to some funny-dressed galoots who were standing around wearing out the cobblestones. Well, they didn't look any too friendly, but uh, I finally got one of them off a bit to the side. Uh, pardon me, brother, pardon me, but uh, I take it this must be some kind of a lunatic asylum, huh? I wondered if you'd tell me where I can find the head keeper of this place. Prithee, fair sir, do not let me. Let you? Let you what? Do not hinder me, then, if that word please thee better. In sooth, I must be gone to my tasks. Oh, so you work here, is that it? Well, can't you take time out to answer a civil question? Verily, I trow, if aught question be asked. Prithee tell, whence camest thy strange and wondrous garb? These clothes? Oh, well, uh, I got them at the Hartford Men's Shop. Huh? Pretty snappy, aren't they? Now, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to know uh, what's going on here. Truly, even now cometh the servant of thy captor. Mayhap with news. You mean this funny-looking kid in that shrimp-colored tights? Aye, he cometh from Sir Kay to take you in his charge, I vow. Oh. Hey there, bud. Uh, you looking for me? And ye be Sir Kay's captive, I claim ye my prisoner. All right, but uh, who are you? I am a page, and am sent to have you in my charge, and it please ye, fair sir. Oh, so you're a page, huh? Well, you don't look like more than a paragraph to me. But never mind, never mind. Now, look, bud, look. <clears throat> I'm a stranger here, and I don't know anybody. Just tell me straight. Are you in your right mind? Forsooth, I am indeed, fair sir. And these other people, are they in their right minds? To be sure. I would not why ye ask. Then this place isn't a lunatic asylum? Oh, say, either I've gone crazy or something awful has happened. Tell me, tell me, honest and true, where am I? Why, in King Arthur's court. In King Arthur's court? <sighs> now, just give me a little time, bud. Uh, by the way, what time is it? Oh, uh, never mind the time. Just tell me the day, the year. You wit not that. Tis the 19th of June in the year 528. 528? Oh, look, boy, is there some place I could rest a few minutes? I must be hearing things and seeing things. Forsooth, that's why I have come. To conduct ye to yon dungeon. A dungeon? Well, that doesn't sound so good. There ye shall stay until King Arthur's court doth decide thy fate. Well, I haven't done anything wrong, but if they want to put me in the hooskow overnight, I guess there's nothing I can do about it. Well, I slept that night because I was even more tired than worried. And when I woke up in the morning, I figured I had a mighty strange dream. But then there was a rattling as the door of the dungeon opened. I blinked in the sudden lights, and then I saw my young friend, the page, standing there. It is morning, fair sir, and I have come as early as I might. 
Oh, gosh, for a minute I... I thought I was waking up, but this dream seems to go on and on and on. Dream? Prithee, what dream? What dream? Why, the dream that I'm in King Arthur's court, that I'm talking to a page dressed like you, and that it's the year 528. Hold now with your talk of dreams. Is it a dream, too, that you're to be burned at the stake tomorrow? Burned? Tomorrow? Oh, now, look here, but look here. They can't do that. Why, I haven't even had a trial. But, sir, you were tried last night by King Arthur's court and condemned to death. Now, just a second, Clarence, my boy, if that happens to be your name. I'm a Yankee from Connecticut, and I've got certain rights. Rights? <laughs> Are ye not a captive and a slave? Well, maybe I can't explain it to you right now, Clarence, but I've got rights all the same, no matter who or what I am. Now, look, you're the only friend I've got, and there must be some way you can help me escape from here. Escape? Well, I would gladly help thee, but there's no hope of escape. Not only are there many guards at hand, but there are other reasons. Other reasons? What reasons? Come on, come on, speak up, son. Well, I should not, but Merlin the Magician has woven a spell about this dungeon, an enchantment no mortal would dare defy. Merlin has whipped up a spell? Oh, yes, I, I prithee never tell I spoke of it or I shall die. I mean thee well and thou betray me, I am lost. <laughs> old Merlin, is it? Oh, yes, yes. I've read about that old faker. Of course, he would be around to see how much trouble he can cause. Well, buck up, Clarence. I'll show that old fraud a trick or two that'll curl his hair. Well, you, sir, you are a magician? Yes, sir, Bob. Now I've got a little figuring to do. You said that yesterday was the 19th of June, 528, right? Yes, sir. Then today is the 20th, and... Uh, and uh, when am I to be burned alive? On the morrow, at high noon. Well, I guess every magician needs a little luck, and that's mine. Ho-ho! I'll teach that Merlin not to fool around with a Hartford man. Now, look. Look, can you get a message from me to the king? Oh, yes. When I tell him that you are a magician, he will hear me. All right, Clarence, all right. Now, you go and tell the king that at high noon tomorrow, just when he figures to burn me, I will smother the world in the darkness of midnight. Oh. I will blot out the sun and it will never shine again. Oh. Will you tell him that? I, I, I shall tell him. <laughs> here, here. Buck up, Clarence. Buck up while you're about to faint. But it's so terrible, so dreadful. Knowledge of such things must be learned from the devil. Oh, not necessarily, Clarence. In this case, it was learned from the old farmer's almanac. For some reason or other, us Yankees have a way of storing little useless facts in our heads. Oh, only this fact wasn't going to be quite useless. You see, I remembered that there had been a total eclipse of the sun on the 21st of June in the year 528. And this eclipse started a few minutes after noon. At the same time, I could possibly be wrong. So I hoped the king wouldn't call my bluff. I reckon Clarence did the best he could, but it was no go. When the next day dawned, I was still in my dungeon. There was a tiny ray of light that kept creeping along the floor of my cell, reminding me it was getting closer and closer to noon. Then I heard the guards marching toward me. The door was open, and I was surrounded and seized. We walked along the dark underground corridors, and then through the crowd in the courtyard. There wasn't a sound as they led me up and fastened me to a stake with a lot of wood piled around it. 
I turned around and saw King Arthur and Merlin seated on a platform, and the king finally spoke. Hast thou now aught to say, O stranger, ere thy execution be performed? Oh, I tell you, I was worried in case I made a mistake about that eclipse. I took a look at the torchbearer standing by, and I decided to stall for time. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Master of Ceremonies, members of the Round Table Association, and ladies and gentlemen, unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, on this occasion I would like to say a few words. Uh, yes. I, uh, I'm reminded of the story about the two Hibernians, Sir Patrick and Sir Michael. It uh, seems that once there were these two Irishmen, and they were walking down the high road when Forsooth and B. Jamers... Oh, the sweat broke out all over me while I was talking because I could see they weren't listening. I saw them twist and squirm and looked up at the sky. Then I looked up too, and I saw a rim of black begin to spread slowly across the face of the sun. I knew they turned back to me in a minute. So I struck a pose I'd learned in elocution class, my arms raised majestically toward the sun. Just then there were two shouts above the crowd. Apply the torch! Apply the torch at once, I say! Cease, Merlin! I, King Arthur, forbid it! Stay where you are! If any man moves, I'll blast him with thunder. I will consume him with lightning. Heed him not. Tis but some strange chance, not his magic. Hold, Merlin. Even now it groweth darker moments by moments. I pray ye be merciful, fair sir. I, King Arthur, on behalf of my people, pray ye to spare us. Name any terms you choose, even to half my kingdom. Ah, uh, very well, Mr. King. But uh, just for a lesson... I'll let this darkness spread for a little while. Then I'll bring back the sun. Now, here are my terms. You can stay on as king, but you'll appoint me as your perpetual minister and executive. Do you agree? Away with his bonds and set him free. He has become the king's right hand and is clothed with all power and authority. And his seat is upon the highest step of the throne. <laughs> Well, sir, by the time I waved my hand to banish the enchantment, I was the most powerful and popular man in that kingdom. They decked me out in their best silks and satins and set me up in their best guest room. As uh, <clears throat> soon as I got settled, I made Clarence my general handyman and went to work to improve the country. Ah, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I had the world in a jug. But I'll tell you right now, anybody who gets to be leader on the basis of being a miracle man is in for trouble. It wasn't very long before the people got restless and wanted some more magic. Wit ye not that Merlin is spreading rumors she cannot perform another miracle? That she have no more magic? Oh, Merlin, is it? Good old Merlin. Well, I'll fix his little red wagon once and for all. And uh, this, this will take your help, Clarence. Prithee only tell me what to do, fair sir. Well, first... First, I want you to get notice around by herald and trumpet that in about two weeks, I'll blow up old Merlin's stone tower with fire from heaven. Merlin's tower? Odds bodkins, it's verily a fortress. Now, uh, Clarence, can you get a hold of a few strong-armed boys we can trust? I wit ye mean those brave of heart but silent of mouth. Ha-ha! <laughs> ah, uh, you wit well. You need only name the time and place to meet. Now, my idea is to pack those tower walls with blasting powder at night when no one is looking. 
Then we'll rig up a lightning rod wired to the different batches of powder. The first time we get a good thunderstorm, that rod will load up with electricity till all of a sudden, boom, no more Merlin's Tower. Truly, it soundeth like the most remarkable of all magic. Well, now, Clarence, it ain't just the size of a piece of magic that counts. It's, uh, it's the showmanship. Now, we got to get a little curiosity worked up around here. So, Clarence, you warn everybody to stay away from that tower till the big event comes off. I tell you, we packed that old stone tower with enough powder to blow up half of London and rigged up our lightning rod. Then one night I lit a signal fire on top of the castle to show I was ready. It was one of those real gloomy, scary nights. But the whole countryside began filling up with people. We climbed to the top of the castle and I sent for Merlin. Mr. Merlin, I'm tired of you trying to run down my reputation as a magician, and um, I aim to teach a lesson in professional courtesy. Be one, ye upstart knave. I'll have my revenge. Oh, I'll take my chances on that, neighbor. I'm going to call down fire and blow up your tower. But I'll be fair and square. Now, if you think you can break my enchantments, well, just go ahead and try, pal. Come on, come on, step up to bat, Merlin. This is your inning. <laughs> Verily, I can break your enchantments, fair sir, and I will. All right. Doubt it not. Okay, all right. But you'd better get a move on, pal. That lightning is getting mighty close. Cadabra, 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 Look at him making an invisible circle, sir. What is the meaning of his strange motions? Well, it looks like he's got a little pinch of some kind of powder there. Cadabra, 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 cadabra. Now he's striking a flint to it. It maketh a wondrous strange flame, sir. (laughs) Well, don't worry about it, Clarence. Uh-oh, I'm afraid we can't hold off much longer. Abracadabra, cadabra, cadabra, all right, all right, cadabra. step aside, brother, step aside. You struck out. Now let me step in and see what I can do. <sighs> One for the money. Two for the show. Three to make ready. And four to go! <laughs> it's taking a little longer than I figured. Uh, <clears throat> Hickory dickory dock. The mouse ran up the clock. Now, Mr. Merlin, you've seen what I did to your tower. Why, it'll be raining pebbles around here for a week. Those, those strange words of thine. None hath dared to utter them before. <laughs> well, there you are, folks. There you are. When it comes to first-class magic, Don W. Merlin, you just don't have it. Zones, but... It is some strange happenstance. <laughs> now, you see, I could pack you out of the country, but uh, I'll let you hang around and do odds and ends of magic, huh? Like, uh, well, prophesizing the weather and such. Now, that's the kind of a fellow I am. Of course, turning the weather predicting over to Merlin was a sure way to undermine public confidence in him. No magician can stand up to that. And I didn't have any trouble with him for a spell. Of course, that made me a bigger man than ever in the realm. And the folks insisted on giving me a title. But I didn't want any noble title. But I'll admit I was pleased when they just naturally started to call me the boss. (laughs) 
The Boss. <laughs> That's the kind of a title I like. Ah, uh, it stands for something. Not like Baron or Duke or Earl. And it was given to me by the people themselves. When I looked around the country, oh, it made my Yankee blood boil to see good, simple-hearted, hard-working folks bow down to every hat-wit noble. And I felt like leading a revolution. But uh, <clears throat> we Yankees are practical, too, and I knew I couldn't change things too fast. So with Clarence as my assistant, we set up schools and factories and newspapers, along with my own military and naval academies recruiting the smartest young fellows we could find, regardless of class. I uh, would have been glad to take in the nobles and knights with me, but they were too busy crusading and jousting and riding around the countryside fighting dragons and such. However, I didn't ignore the knights altogether because, uh, well, because I had a scheme to make them useful. So I called them to order at the round table one day. Very well, gentlemen, very well. The meeting will come to order. I beg your pardon, good sirs. But what are you gabbing about? I mean, uh, pretty, pretty, what discussed ye? Hast thou heard, Sir Boss? In next tournament, they quoted odds of three to one on Sir Sacramose Le Desirous. Say, those are pretty long odds. Ain't he up against Sir Percival? In sooth, tis so. And he shall find it woundily hard to overthrow Sir Percival, I trow. <laughs> I'm with you there, neighbor. Sir Percival's as hot as a pistol. Hot uh, as a pistol? I witch ye not, fair sir. Uh, never mind, never mind. Let's get down to business. Now, uh, <clears throat> you fellas are all knight errands, aren't you? Aye, tis our honor thus to serve the cause of chivalry. And you roam the highways and byways to the far ends of the kingdom, don't you? That is our mission, fair sir, to right wrong where'er we find it. Good, good. Now, I have here a special decoration for each of you to wear. Ha-ha! <laughs> now, look at this. Why, tis lettered all in gilt. Tis more splendid and radiant than the facing of the bravest shield. Now, I'm going to give you one of these. You have only to wear it wherever you go. Who indeed would part with such a decoration? All right. Now, here's yours, Sir Lacote. You see, it spells out persimmon soap patronized by the elect. Now, when you put the sandwich sign on, I mean this emblem on, it will spell that out to all the world, both fore and aft. Oh, thank thee, Sir Boss. Persimmon soap patronized by the elect. Surely it is a noble banner. I'll say it is. Now, uh, I also want you to take a few bars of persimmon soap about the kingdom on your travels. You see, we're introducing it as a special cut-rate price. Do uh, <clears throat> you think you can sell these bars of soap? I vow it, fair sir, upon my sword. If any wish not to buy, I shall challenge them to a joust. That's the spirit, and I'll tell you what. If you conquer any other knights, you may send them forth to do thy bidding. So they too shall sell persimmon soap. Why, you'll be a regular sales manager. A sales manager? Truly, it is a proud title, and I shall do my best to warrant it. <laughs> now, you, Sir Lamerick, here is your sign. Use Peterson's prophylactic toothbrush. And uh, here's your sample kit. I, I wit not what it means, a prophylactic toothbrush. Hmm. But I shall sell them if e'er Sir Lacote can sell persimmon soap. I'm sure you will, Sir Lamerick. And just remember, you've got the best toothbrush in the market. In fact, uh, <clears throat> the only one. Now, Sir Osais, I have here for you a sign proclaiming majestic brand stove polish. Stove polish? And what strange wonder may it be? Well, of course, there aren't any stoves yet, but you can whip up a little interest in the idea till the stoves come along from the factory, see? Our office will give you all the necessary information. Oh, tis a strange quest, sir, boss, but I shall do aught that I can. Good boy, good boy. And uh, just to get a little competition... 
The fellow who hangs up the best sales record wins a copper-plated spear suitably engraved. <laughs> now, attention, men, attention. I swear all of you to ride diligently and to present your wares to every prospect. We do so swear, sir. Ah, but just when everything was going good, I got the darndest interruption. Clarence came running into my office one day. Tis wondrous good fortune, sir, boss. There came us to the king's court a fair damsel from a far country. She bringeth a strange tale of a distant castle where her mistress and other maidens are held captive by three cruel and monstrous brothers. Oh, now, come now, Clarence. Come, that's an old story in these parts. Why, a girl here hasn't had a proper bringing up unless she's been held prisoner in a castle. Why, it's like sending him to finishing school. But, boss, these brothers are verily giants, each with four arms and with one great eye in the middle of the forehead. Whoever shall go to the rescue shall be the hero of the realm. Well, there are plenty of knights hanging about the round table, aren't there? As I understand it, the crusading season doesn't open until later. But, sir, boss, that is my news. Though any knight would die for this adventure... Our liege and lord, the king, hath appointed thee this damsel's protector, and yours is the honor of the rescue. Oh, now, just a minute, doggone it. Suppose I don't feel like gallivanting around on a wild goose chase. Tis not a favor one can't refuse, fair sir. T'would be a sign of cowardice and an insult to the king. <sighs> okay, Clarence, okay. Where is this damsel who started all this hullabaloo? She awaits thee now, sir, boss. I shall summon her. Pray do. And now, young lady, may I ask your name? I hate the Demoiselle Alessandre Le Cotelois. And it please you? The Demoiselle Alessandre... <clears throat> well, do you mind if I just call you Miss Sandy, and it please you? Now, uh, where are you from? From the land of Modere, fair sir. The land of Modere? Well, just where is this castle you speak about? It lieth there in the land of Modere. Yeah, but where in the world is the land... Oh, never mind, never mind. Clarence, uh, maybe you can help me. Do we have a map? Uh, a map? I wit not what you speak of. Oh, I forgot. I haven't invented them yet. But how am I going to get to this place? Oh, la, your worship, that is lightly answered. She will go with thee. Go with me? In sooth, she shall. Tis the way it is always done. Oh, all right, all right. But how big are these four giants? What do they look like? Uh, have you ever seen them? Seen them? Indeed, that I never have, my lord. But I have heard from many that... You've heard? Everybody's heard about them, but you never find anyone who's seen them with his own eyes. And well, I guess there's nothing to do now but go and have a look for myself. Well, sir... On the morning we were to leave, Clarence and the other boys rallied around to help me put on my armor. Oh, yeah, 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 I had to put on armor. Me, a man who hated even to doll himself up in a stiff collar. Here is your chain mail, sir, boss. Chain mail. Now my graves. Uh, greaves, sir, boss. Oh, oh, yes, yes, uh, greaves, of course. Uh, Backplate. Backplate. Breastplate. Breastplate. Screwdriver. 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 Nay, I wit not what you mean. Well, never mind, never mind. But I do wish I had a can opener. Well, what else is there? Sword, gauntlets, helmet, spear, shield. Hmm. There's enough stovepipe here for a ten-room house. Say, maybe I could check this baggage on through and pick it up at the station, huh? 
No, I guess not. Even if we had a train, you can't buy a ticket to the land of Modere when you don't know where it is. Haste thee, sub-boss. The groom is bringing thy horse. Well, gosh, I don't blame it for laughing. Whoa, boy. Whoa, whoa. Steady, boy. Steady. Well, anyhow, I have a way of getting up on this nag. All right, hoist me up with that pulley, men, and then back the horse under me. Whoa. Easy, easy. Whoa. Ah. Well, at last they got me on the horse. The king made a little speech. The knights gave me three cheers and a tiger. Miss Sandy climbed up behind me on a pillion, and we were ready to move off. From Hollywood, the NBC Theater is bringing you Wally Mayer as the Yankee in a dramatization of Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. We will resume after a brief pause for station identification. As we moved through Camlet, the trumpet sounded, flags were unfurled, the sun gleamed on my armor, and the plume of my helmet danced in the breeze. <laughs> Why, I even began to feel like a conquering hero. Till we came to the outskirts of town, where a ragged little hoodlum made a bullseye out of my helmet with a rock. Uh, no, sir, no matter what age you live in, boys just don't have respect for anything or anybody. <laughs> Well, sir, we got out in the country, and it was worse than wearing a dress suit. I'm telling you, when the sun beat down on that tinware, I felt like a chicken in an oven. So I was glad enough to pause by a little stream, take off my helmet, and dip a few buckets of cold water down the back of my neck. Oh. Oh. Oh, Sandy, this is more like it, resting here in the shade. Hand me uh, my pipe there, will you please? That pipe? I wit not the name of... Uh, there. Yeah, that's it. That curved-stemmed object. Oh. Thank you. What wonders dost thou do with this? <laughs> Why, I smoke, Sandy. Of course, I haven't any proper tobacco, just some dried willow bark. Uh, you see, I, I take one of these little matches, uh, this thing here. I light it, oh. Oh. light my pipe, and puff away. <sighs> Sandy. Sandy, where are you? Where are you? I command to know. Barely, your worship. I, I'm up here. Oh, oh, Sandy, come down out of that tree. I won't harm you. Oh, I prithee, dear sir. Let me remain afar. Come now, Sandy, come. This tobacco's not as bad as all that. It won't hurt you. But to breathe fire so. Surely it is the devil's doing. Oh, come now. I'm only smoking my pipe. Why, I thought you people were used to seeing monsters and dragons puffing smoke. Truly, it is said that many have seen such apparitions... But ne'er hath any seen mortal man breathe forth the smoke of the devil's pit. Well, come on back, Sandy. Believe me, it isn't half as strange as a lot of the things you tell me about spells and enchantments. I promise you, you won't be harmed. I, I trust thee if thou promise. But tis a dreadful and wondrous thing thou must concede. All right, all right, I'll concede it. 
But gosh, I'll bet you'd really think it was something if I could blow smoke rings. Such a strange wonder. I would have deemed thou had changed thyself into a dragon. <laughs> you people have heard too many fairy tales. You're ready to believe anything. Oh. Sandy, what's the matter now? Look, my lord, defend thyself. Peril of life is toward. Peril of life? On yonder hill, seest thou not the knights approaching? Yes. Yes, they are riding this way, a half a dozen of them. What do you suppose they want? To horse, sir, boss. Defend thyself or they kill thee. Kill me? Now, wait a minute. Aren't they going to challenge me or something? Oh, Mary, sir, they'll kill you at once, all of them. This is no tournament, my lord. They'll kill thee. And if thou art defeated, I too will be their prize. You, Sandy? You? Oh, no, no, they don't. Where's my lance? Where's my sword? To horse, my lord. Uh, oh, it's no use, Sandy. I can't get up on the horse with all this truck. Besides, there are six against one. You hide behind that tree. They're coming. It's no use, Sandy. Hide and take care of yourself as best you can. Oh, sir, boss, thy pipe. Mm. Pop thy pipe and breathe smoke at them. My pipe? See, that's an idea. <coughs> Gosh, I can't see this cloud of smoke. <coughs> what happened? They've stopped this, <coughs> sir. <coughs> By George, they are hightailing it for the hills. <coughs> oh. Oh, Sandy, but I tell you, that, that willow bark mixture's not made to inhale. Well, sir, that's how I vanquished a half a dozen bold knights. Me, a fellow who couldn't even clamber on the horse wearing all that armor. That was strange enough, but not, uh, not nearly as strange as what happened when we came to Sandy's castle. When people have been brought up on ignorance and superstition, they can believe anything. As we rode along a few days later, Sandy began to get excited. Ah, me thinks, sir, boss, that we approach the castle. You see a castle? Whoa, Nelly. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, where, 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 where? I don't see any castle. I don't see it, but it's right there on yon hillside. Right there? Of surety. Lo, how it looms. Look, Sandy... What I see isn't a castle, it's, it's nothing but a pigsty. A pigsty? Doth it seem to thee a pigsty? It sure doth. Well, that is strange. Mayhap it be enchanted, and yet it hath not changed to me. No, no, just be calm, Sandy. I reckon it is enchanted, if you say so. After all, you've heard so many stories about castles and ogres and captive princesses, it's no wonder you have hallucinations. Halluc... <clears throat> I would ye not. Well, never mind, never mind. If you say it's a castle, it's a castle. But because of the enchantment, uh, it looks like a pigsty to me, see. Now, do you, uh, do you see the princesses or the ogres around anywhere? Thou seest them not. The princesses are on the castle ground, and the ogres e'en now are glancing toward us. Well, now, you see, it just goes to show you, Sandy, those princesses look like pigs to me, and the ogres look like swineherds. <laughs> but how canst thou fight them if they be enchanted so? Well, now, don't you worry, Sandy. Remember, I know a little magic myself. Now, you just stay right back here and look the other way, and I'll settle this thing in a jiffy. Oh, Sir Boss, thou art braver than any knight in the realm. Really? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, thank you, Sandy, thank you. I'll, I'll be back in a minute. Giddy up, Nelly, come on, let's go. Well, this was a mighty strange mission. But I bribed the swineherds to lie down and pretend they were dead, and I hired a boy to load the pigs in a cart and drive off in the direction of Camelot. Then, then I went back and told Sandy to take a look at the scene. Well, sir, she was as pleased as punch. She waved to the pigs as their royal coach took them toward safety, 
and she wanted me to cut off the heads of the dead ogres. But uh, I thought that was carrying things too far. I told her it would be bad luck to cut off the ogres' heads, and it sure would have been tough luck for those poor swineherds. Well, it all goes to show how a body can be brought up to believe anything. Don't forget, <laughs> Sandy was as fine and as smart a girl as you'd want to meet. Even if she couldn't understand much when I talked about democracy and freedom and the jury system and the secret ballot. Well, anyhow, her heart was in the right place, as I found out when we stopped at the castle of a mighty duke one night for shelter. When they found out I was Sir Boss, oh, they really rolled out the red carpet. In fact, as a, a special treat, our host insisted we visit the castle dungeon where he kept his prisoners. <laughs> Verily, it is a frightening and dreadful place, sir, boss. Oh, I'll say. It beats the chamber of horrors at an amusement park all hollow. I vow I hath one subject to show you the like ye've ne'er seen before. He hath been on the rack for many hours, yet he be stubborn. He confesseth not. The rack? You mean the torture wheel? Aye, and he yield not his confession now. Ye shall see him torn asunder. What hath he done so wicked to deserve such punishment? He hath been accused of killing a stag in the king's own forest. Accused? You mean it hasn't been proved? He hath been seen near where the stag was found, yet he confesseth not. But your highness, suppose he has nothing to confess. As to that, we shall see anon. And if I rack him to death and he confesseth not, it will peradventure show he hath indeed not to confess. But he'll be dead. And a pity, too, for he hath been a good farmer. But it is my duty, as I took my oath, he must not die unconfessed. It is the law, if he be a criminal, his land and property is forfeit to his lord, to this estate. Should he be guilty and not confess... I should be breaking the sacred vows I swore to uphold the law. But what if he is not guilty and can't confess? I shall lose a good servant, and more's the pity. But I shall have done my duty as I took my oath. Surely none could deny that. No, no, I suppose not. But hold, here is the chamber door. Let it be opened. In the smoky light of torches, we saw a young giant stretched on the rack. His wrists and ankles tied to ropes pulled over a windlass at either end. There was no color in his face, no expression, only beads of sweat. There was a girl crouching in the corner, and I could tell the way she looked at him she was his wife. Just as we entered, the executioner gave his machine a turn. Oh. Well, Violet, do you confess? Oh. Oh, speak, Hugo, speak. Oh. Thou fool. Oh, God, once more. Sir Boss, Sir Boss. Yes, Sandy. In spite of thy great powers, I have asked naught of thee till now. I know, Sandy, I know. And it shall be as you wish. Stop! Release this prisoner. But hold, this is my castle. I speak for the law here. Ye forget, Your Highness, this is Sir Boss, the right hand of the king. And ye do not his will, his magic will dissolve this castle. Uh, never mind the magic, Sandy. In the name of King Arthur and by my power as his minister, I command it. So be it then, Sir Boss. Let his command be obeyed. Let me speak to the prisoner alone, Your Highness, so I can make a decision here. You, uh, you'd better go too, Sandy. Very well. The curse of broken vows be on thee if justice is not done. Let me worry about justice, Your Highness. Come then, we will depart. Oh, thank you, fair sir. May I, may I only touch him, sir? Yes, sure. You may touch him, do what you like. <laughs> oh, Hugo... You go, my here, own. Here, give him a drink of water. Uh, thank you from my soul, fair sir. Here, Hugo, drink. Oh. And now, my friend, tell me your side of the story. No, 
No, I will not speak. But you must speak, Hugo. No, no, it is some trick to break my will. It changes nothing, Marion. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you folks ever heard of me, the boss? Ah, yes. All know of thee in Arthur's realm. Well, if you've heard rightly of me, you shouldn't be afraid to talk. Oh, fair lord, do thou persuade him to confess and let him die a swift, sweet death. I cannot bear this one. Be still, Marion. Shall I starve my wife and child to win a gentle death? I pray thee, Hugo, accept this boon. A blessed quick Now, let's stop that kind of talk, doggone it. Nobody's going to die. He's going to get out of here a free man. A free man? Oh, sweet sir. Do, do you mean that, my lord? Very of course I do. I swear it. Then I shall speak. But why didn't you speak before when I asked for your story? Ye had made no promise then. Well, I guess you thought you had to confess or I'd put you back on the rack. But you didn't have anything to confess, is that it? Well, how so, my lord? It was I, indeed, who killed the king's deer. You did? I begged him to confess, my lord, on my knees. I begged him. But you knew he would die if he confessed. But a quick death without cruel pain. But he didn't want a quick death. He? Of the surety he did. Well, then why didn't he confess? Confess, fair sir? For all my lowly station, I am a man. Should I confess and leave my wife and little one without bread and shelter all their lives? Leave your wife and little... Now, let me get this straight. Why, sure, I see it. Now, if you confessed, you'd die a criminal and your land would be taken by the Duke's estate. Aye, leaving my family beggars without a roof. And if you didn't confess, you'd die in torture, but your family would keep your land. Even so, my lord. And surely a man would rather die a thousand deaths than have his loved ones tortured by hunger and want? Oh, Hugo, I would rather we starve than have these suffer so. By golly, you're two of the bravest people I ever met, and the most loyal. I'll tell you what I want you to do, Hugo. Take this note that I'll give you and go to Camlet. Hand it over to Sir Clarence, my assistant, and he'll put you to work in one of my factories. Would you like to work for me? Oh, Woodst I, fair sir? I will be your slave My forever. slave? Oh, no. No, you won't, Hugo. You won't be anybody's slave. My factories aren't run by slaves and never will be. Because the most important product we turn out is independent men. <laughs> After we got back to Camlet, I went to work again. More and more brave young fellows joined up with me. With Clarence to help me and with Maid Sandy to encourage me, we secretly set up more schools and factories and democratic political clubs. Of course, I made enemies with old man Merlin, who was in favor of superstition, and most of the nobles who liked things as they were. However, one of the knights, Sir Sagramore, decided to get rid of me and challenged me to battle in the big tournament at Camelot. Well, I decided to take a crack at this business of knighthood and chivalry, which was nothing but tyranny. So I accepted the challenge. And when the big day dawned, the flower of English knighthood was there, and the jousting started with one killed or wounded contestant after another being carried off the field. Then it came my turn to ride against Sir Sagramore. Oh, there was a big cheer when Sir Sagramore rode out on a big white charger, the sun glinting on his armor and the plume of his helmet dancing in the breeze. And there was a roar of laughter when I rode out, because I was wearing nothing but a gymnasium suit and had no weapons except a coil of rope. But the laughter died out quick enough 
when the battle signal was given. Sir Sagramore charged full tilt his lance toward me. Oh, I felt the sweat break out, but I held my ground till the last split second, and then I swerved my horse and dodged, and Sagramore went clattering by like the 515 Express. He wheeled and turned and came rushing back again. This time I spurred my horse to one side as he went by, and I twirled my rope over my head like a lasso, and I threw the loop saw the noose settled around his shoulder, and then brushed my horse. And Sir Sagramore came down with a crash like a hardware store struck by lightning. Well, after that, the mightiest knights of the realm rode against me. And I roped and hogtied them all as fast as they came. Yes, sir. It was me against the whole world of chivalry that day. Well, at last I rode back to my tent after I'd beaten a lot of them. Sir Boss, thou hast defeated all night errantry. <laughs> well, I reckon that'll show him what a Yankee can do, Clarence. Noble blood or no noble blood. Sir Boss, I feared for thee every moment. Ha, ha. Now, Sandy, there was nothing to worry about. But if aught had happened to thee, I, I'd know not how it could be borne. Well, I reckon even a Yankee knight's entitled to have a fair maiden on his side. Well, I guess we can knock off and call it a day, huh? Hold, sir. Huh? There is yet one more to challenge thee. Oh, Merlin. Well, where'd you come from? What do you want here? I come to tell ye Sir Sagramore hath entered the fray, and I have woven a spell about him to make ye parlous. <laughs> Go along with your spells, Merlin. But if Sir Sagramore wants to tilt again, I guess I've got to accommodate him. This time will ye see who is the master. Thy part is done. Tis true, Sir Boss. Sir Sagramore doth ride once more. I beg ye, beware of Merlin and his evil magic. <laughs> I'm not worried about that old buzzer's magic. Wait a minute. Where, where's my rope? Oh. Truly, twas here a moment past, Sir Boss. Now where could I have put that lasso? Tis gone, tis gone. Merlin hath done it. Uh, he stole it. That's what happened, the dirty little crook Merlin. What canst thou do without a weapon? Thou canst not ride unarmed, Sir Boss. I'm, uh, I'm not quite unarmed, Sandy. I have a little surprise, but I didn't want to use it. Well, they gave the battle signal, and there was nothing to do but ride out again. Sagramore could see I didn't have a weapon. But he came charging toward me anyway, his big sword flashing through the air. Oh, I could see murder on his face. Well, it was his life against mine. So when he was almost on top of me, I grabbed a revolver from a hidden holster and fired. I shoved the revolver back into its hiding place. And Sir Sagramore fell from his horse, stone dead. After that, King Arthur backed me all the way as I tried to improve conditions all over the country. Well, it got so that Clarence could run things almost as well as I could. And to make my happiness complete, I married the maid Sandy. Ah, oh, there were years of peace and progress and hard work. But at last I felt free to take my first vacation. So Sandy and I sailed to the French coast. I was so contented I quit worrying about everything until...
until the news ceased to arrive from England. As the days passed, I knew something was wrong, terribly wrong. I decided to go back alone. And so I said goodbye to Sandy. And it was a sad parting for both of us. I crossed the channel and made my way secretly over the English countryside. And it was a strangely quiet and silent land. I didn't ask any questions. I just hurried as fast as I could to see Clarence. No sooner were you gone from the land, Sir Boss, when Merlin and Sir Modred, the king's nephew, plotted to take over the kingdom. But the people were loyal to King Arthur. What could they do? They turned the king against Sir Lancelot by telling him of the rumor of the love between Lancelot and Queen Guinevere. Well, that's a good start in treason, all right. The king had the queen put in prison in his anger. Then those who were loyal to Sir Lancelot rode to rescue her. And uh, that set off the fireworks, I suppose. Sir Lancelot wanted only peace for the realm, and he retreated to his castle of joyous God. All might have ceased, but Merlin and Mordred counseled the king to pursue him there, leaving the kingdom in Sir Mordred's hands. And when Mordred got his hands on it, he wouldn't let go unless I missed my guess. Tis true, he seized the realm. So when the king returned, their armies fought until Sir Mordred fell. Sir Mordred fell? Well, well, that's good. But I'll bet nothing happened to Merlin. Nay, Merlin liveth on. But in the same battle, King Arthur fought till he was slain. King Arthur? King Arthur's dead? Oh, what a sad day for Britain. And you'll be dead too, Sir Boss, if Merlin has his way. All the knights are gathering now to destroy those who are loyal to him. Yeah, well, we'll see about that, hey, Clarence? What can they do against our scientific war equipment and our trained armies? Hold, Sir Boss. We have less than 60 men left. What? Out of all of our schools and factories and armies? What happened, Clarence? Why, they deserted. That's what happened. They feared the authority of the knights and the magic of Merlin. Do you think you'd educated all tradition and all superstition out of these people? Well, yes. Yes, I did believe so, but I... I guess I should have known. Well, if what you say is true, everything's lost. Oh, not yet, sir, boss. Do you remember Merlin's cave? Well, I took the loyal men, stationed them there, and fortified it for a siege. Say, Clarence, that's a first-rate idea. <laughs> I've wired dynamite charges under all our factories and mills and ammunition plants. We can blow them up in two seconds so that they won't fall into the hands of the enemy. <laughs> Good boy, Clarence. Good boy. We'll give him a tussle yet. Why, this is our chance, Clarence. Once I defeated Knight Errantry, but now, now we'll wipe it out. Let's move to the cave and get ready for action. All right now, men. Let's uh, see where we stand. What's the situation on artillery? Uh, verily, it seemeth to be secure, Sir Boss. A battery of Gatling guns hath been mounted on the tower over the cave. Good, Hugo, good. How about the outer defenses? Yonder, all about our fortress, there are torpedoes buried. Well, if they get that far, those torpedoes will blow up everyone who puts a foot on them, right? Verily, Sir Boss. Now, how about the electricians? Uh, yon wire fences, sir, all have been charged. Well, that ought to stop them right there. Uh, ye see yon ditch that circles us about, Sir Boss? All is contrived that it may be filled with water in a thrice by blowing up the dam in yonder hills. <laughs> oh, good, Clarence, good. As you all know, I've already sent out a proclamation declaring England a republic. Is there any report yet from the Secret Service? Verily, Sir Boss. The proclamation he has sent aroused all knighthood throughout England. Even now they march against us in all their force. Well, I guess we're ready for them, huh? What do you say, lads? Are we ready? 
when I say there's something wrong here, I can tell by your faces. Come on, come on, out with it. Speak up, boys. Uh, uh, Sir Boss, uh, we would not have ye doubt our courage nor our belief, uh, for we have shared thy dream. I know you're not afraid, Hugo, but what is it then? It is England itself that is marching against us, Sir Boss. Uh, we treasure well thy republic, but these people are our people. They be bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Uh, we pray ye, do not ask us to destroy our nation. You have spoken well, Hugo. You're Englishmen, and you shall never forget it. But think of this. While it is England that marches against us, who will march in front? The host of male knights, sir, boss. That's right. 30,000 knights. Now, those knights and nobles will be the only ones ever to reach our fortifications. Those knights and nobles aren't your fellow men. They're your masters. You'll be fighting only them for the freedom of England and from their rule. It is true as ye say, Sir Boss. We shall fight these tyrants. Aye, we shall fight them, for we would but be loyal to our country. I think I know how you feel, because this has become my country too. You see, I have a feeling of loyalty too, but my kind of loyalty is to the country itself, not to its institutions or its office holders. The country's the real thing the institutions can wear out and be discarded. I'm with you in your loyalty a hundred percent. But I remember a place called Connecticut, where they have a constitution that says all political power is inherent in the people and all free government are founded on their authority and instituted for their benefit and that they have at all times an undeniable and indefeasible right to alter their form of government in such manner as they may think expedient. We manned our station, and off in the distance we saw them coming. A great sea of mounted knights moving toward us. It was a sea that glittered as the sunlight struck wave after wave of shining armor. They came closer, and we let them cross the ditch that was to cut off their retreat. They straggled through the rows of wire fences by the thousands. And by the time the whole mass of them had crossed the ditch, those in front were approaching the torpedo mines only a few yards from where we were waiting. Already, boss. Hold it, Clarence, hold it. We've got to get them all in the trap. Wait until they hit the torpedo belt. Here the first come on a gallop. There. That's got him in the stampede, Clarence. Now the electric fan. The fences, men. Turn on full power. That's it. Ha-ha. Ah, oh, they're dropping like flies. They're still coming on. Open fire, Clarence. Battery attention. Open fire. Ah, that's stopping them. They're turning back. Blow up the dam. Blow up the dam, men. Turn on the water! Within ten minutes, resistance was annihilated. We had defeated Merlin and his forces. We had defeated the lords and nobles. We had defeated tradition and tyranny. But our very victory was our own defeat. 
We were trapped where we were by the bodies of the countless dead. Huge walls of bodies that soon filled the air with poison and struck us down one <coughs> by one. Sir Boss. Sir Boss. Yes, Hugo. What is it, man? Is there no chance? No. No, Hugo. We've trapped ourselves. Our victory was not to be. Give me your hand. And let me say farewell. Farewell. Farewell, Hugo. Uh, at least I will have died for freedom. Not as you found me on a torture rack. Ah, fair. Farewell. Oh, my last old friend is dead. What? Who moves there? Clarence? Clarence, is it you? No, no, no. Clarence is dead. What am I thinking of? <sighs> but someone moves. I see a shadow. Speak. Ye were conquerors. Now ye are the conquered. Oh, that voice. That voice. I, I know that voice. Who are you? I am Merlin, whom you thought you had escaped. Merlin? What are you doing here? I come with magic. Magic more ancient than yours. The others have all perished but ye. Ye shalt not join them. Go away. Go away, I'm going to join Sandy. She's waiting for me. Ye shall sleep for a long time. No. Ye shall sleep for a long no. time. No, the world will not sleep. Your magic won't work. In, in time... Ye oh. shall sleep to wake in a strange oh. land after 13 centuries. No. No, Sandy. No, Sandy, it won't work. It is my spell. Merlin hath spoken. We'll destroy you. We'll destroy Man the battlements. Men. Men, stand to your guns. Open fire, men. A sleep of 13 <coughs> centuries. Open. Open fire. Merlin hath spoken. We'll destroy you. We'll destroy you again. Evil. Evil. When I awake... Asleep oh. of 13 centuries. A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain. The radio adaptation was by Jack C. Wilson. Be with us every week at the NBC Theater. In the coming weeks, we'll bring you dramatizations of The Track of the Cat by Walter Van Tilburg Clark, High Wind in Jamaica by Richard Hughes, and Hedda Gobbler by Henrik Ibsen. In today's cast, Wally Mayer was the Yankee, Hugh Thomas was Clarence, Herbert Rawlinson was King Arthur, Ramsey Hill was Merlin, Charles Davis was Sir Coat, 
Alec Harford was Osais, Marion Richmond was Sandy, John Dodsworth was Hugo, and Naomi Stevens was the woman. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The NBC Theater is produced by Wade Arnold. The director of the NBC Theater is Andrew C. Love. program came to you from Hollywood. What's on NBC today? Husband and wife, Wilfred Pelletier, conductor, and Rose Bampton, soprano, combine their talents to bring you superb music on the NBC Symphony's summer concert. Here today's concert by the NBC Symphony Orchestra, right after the adventures of Sam Spade. This is NBC the National Broadcasting Company. Okay. Well, jumped the gun there. They took too long to get to the chimes. Um, okay, that was Wally Mayer in a real tour de force role. Interesting, that story has been told numerous times. They did a good job with it there on NBC University Theater. Connecticut in King Arthur's, Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. There we go. We'll get it right eventually. Okay, uh, that's our salute to Wally Mayer following his uh, appearance on Suspense on our last Thursday show of Dead Earnest, which is a different type of acting and also a really great program. You might want to go back and listen to that if you missed it. We will be back next week with more drama, variety, and comedy, continuing on on Thursdays with our salute to suspense with Dr. Joe Webb and another great episode there. So until then, this is John Tefteller saying thank you and goodbye. (laughs) 